This morning, I'm going to start a sermon series starting today for the next two Sundays on what the Bible really says about the end times. So let us pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus the Lord. We thank you for this opportunity that we have together in your word and around the word of God. We pray that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we would hear it with clarity. I bind, rebuke, and bring to no effect every distraction that may try to come. We open our spirit up to listen to the word of God, and uh, we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone said amen. Remain standing. Acts chapter 1, verse number 9. Hear the words of St. Luke. Acts chapter 1, verse number 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verse number 3. I mean, excuse me, verse 11. Look at it one more time. Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What the Bible really says about the end times. What the Bible really says about the end times. You may be seated. Um, during World War II, the Japanese stormed the Philippines and if you know anything about U.S. history, the U.S. forces immediately begin to leave and withdraw. Japan and the Japanese invasion, of course, was very successful. And if you will recall your history, General Douglas MacArthur said that as he got on the boat with the American troops, he said this, and he uttered this famous phrase, he said, I came through, but I shall return. And of course, you know, several years later, he did return with a massive invasion, and uh, he came back with victory. Of course, we know that somebody else is going to return, and that is Jesus. In our text, the angels said to the disciples that Jesus would return. It's been a long time since those words have been uttered. As a matter of fact, it's been 2,000 years since those words have been uttered from the angel. But let me remind you that the promise is still true. It may be delayed, but it is still true. His coming is nigh. Time is winding down, and there is an urgency and a longing in God's people for His return. There is a spiritual alarm clock that's being sounded, not only internally, but I believe it's being sounded throughout the Christian world. God's prophetic calendar is being fulfilled right before our own eyes. And, and I believe, my friends, that it is later than you think. It's later than you think. Have you ever stopped for a moment and thought about how much our society is fascinated with the end times? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about how fascinated Hollywood is about the end times? I mean, I can't count the, uh, the movies that Hollywood has made depicting the end of the world or some kind of some great event that's going to occur. For instance, 
Uh, I don't know if you're up on Hollywood movies, but let's just go down memory lane here. In 2009, there was a movie made by Hollywood called 2012. It depicted the end of the world or some sort of Armageddon. Another movie was wrote or produced in 2009. It was called The Road. It was called The Road. It also depicted the end of the world or some sort of climatic event that would occur on planet Earth. There was another, there was another um, movie made called The War of the Worlds. You remember that? That was in 2005. 2004, another movie was produced called The Day After Tomorrow in 2004. Hollywood, you know, they don't stop there. They just keep producing these movies that depict the end of the world. What about in 2012, they predicted, uh, or they made a movie called World War Z in 2012. In 2002, they also made a movie called 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later, it also depicted some sort of end of the world. And also, 28 Weeks Later, also in 2007, they also produced a movie called Armageddon, which depicted the end of the world. And I can go on and on and on about all these movies that Hollywood is making depicting the end of the world or some kind of event that's going to transpire right before uh, some kind of climactic event. And um, I think that not only, my friends, not only is Hollywood fascinated about the end of the world, but have you ever noticed how much the church world is fascinated about it? I mean, the church world is really fascinated about the end of the world. I mean, uh, there's numerous books that's been written about the end of the world. I mean, Christians will spend thousands of dollars running to so-called prophecy conferences to learn about what is coming next. They want to learn about what is, how is America found in the prophecy of Scripture. They run from conference to conference to try to figure out who the Antichrist is and where they're going to put the mark of the beast. <laughs> Not only that, but thousands of Christians will pay to see prophecy teachers. And have you ever seen these prophecy teachers? These prophecy teachers look really dignified with their charts and their graphs, and they have everything laid out exactly how it's going to happen. All of it's laid out systematically about how it's going to happen right after this event, this event will occur, right after this event, this will event will occur, and they make thousands of dollars on their books, on their charts and graphs, telling America and Christians what's getting ready to happen and what you need to do. And, uh, and then we have religious fanatics. You know, there's always religious fanatics in every religion, but Christianity has their share of religious fanatics. And there's religious fanatics that will try to pinpoint the coming of Jesus Christ. That's been happening since the beginning of time, or excuse me, for 2,000 years people have predicted uh, the return of Christ. And so there's religious fanatics that will try to scare us. I mean, people will sell their homes and sell their possessions and go to a mountain somewhere and eat beanie weenies waiting for a certain time or day for the return of Jesus. I mean, we've seen that happen recently. And so, uh, for instance, uh, just let me just give you a short, just a few people that's predicted the end of the world and predicted the return of Christ. 
1874, a man by the name of Charles Taz Russell. Charles Taz Russell, of course, if you know your religious history, Charles is the founder of the Jehovah Witness, and uh, he predicted in 1874 that Jesus Christ would return to earth. And when Jesus didn't return to earth, he predicted in 1914 that Jesus would come again, but since the prediction failed, he said that Jesus came to the earth in October 1914, invisible, not in visible form. So, um, so uh, his prediction was off. What about Jim Jones, that cultish leader who led over 900 people to drink Kool-Aid in South Africa? Jim Jones, uh, before he somewhat went crazy, predicted in 1964 that he had some kind of visions and prayer and as he was praying in 1967, he said that that year God's judgment would come to America and Christ would return. Pat Robinson, that great evangelical uh, 700 club leader, predicted uh, in 1976 that, uh, that God's judgment would hit America in 1982. Of course, he, his prediction failed as well. Lester Summerall predicted in his book, 1985, Lester Summerall wrote a book called I Predict. And in 1985, he predicted that in 1985, Jesus would either return or America would experience some sort of judgment. 1988, there was a book written. And in this book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Occur in 1988. I was seven or eight years old at the time, and I remember all my drunken uncles crying, actually I remember this, in September I actually remember this, uh, uh, them going to my grandma's house crying because they thought Jesus was going to return. And so um, Jesus never returned in 1988 on September the 11th. He never returned. Uh, Harold Camping was another evangelical so-called charismatic leader. Most of these, these so-called fanatic religious leaders are, call themselves charismatics or Pentecostals because they hear, hear from the Lord, and yet they disobey Scripture. And we've got to be careful as Pentecostals, even though we are heart-driven, we cannot ignore the head. Can I hear an amen? We can't ignore the head. And so Harold Camping predicted that Jesus would return in September the 6th, 1994, I think he said. Um, that prediction failed in 1994, uh, he changed his mind, Pastor Brandon, and said, listen, I was off. Jesus is actually, Jesus is going to come not September 6, 1994. He's actually going to come September 29, 1994. Well, guess what? That prediction failed. So Harold Camping comes out again and he says, well, my first prediction failed, my second prediction failed, but I, was, I wasn't in the spirit. He said, but the, the, the final prediction is going to be October the 2nd, 1994. It also failed. Said that he went into seclusion and tried to recalculate his dates. Gordon Lindsay, that great uh, charismatic leader, said that in his book that the Great Tribulation would occur before the year 2000. His prediction failed as well. Jerry Falwell said in January 1st, 2000, that um, God's judgment is going to hit America, and yet... It never happened. He was a big proponent of the Y2K, the big Y2K scare where these evangelical and charismatic leaders told you to 
store up your crackers and your sardines and beanie weenies and your cheese and your milk because the world is coming to an end and uh, you need to be ready. And all the computers of the world are going to crash and it's going to cause great confusion and it's going to give a platform for the Antichrist to come on the white horse and bring peace to the world. I like to speak to these prophecy preachers and like for them to reimburse all of us who bought their books and tapes. You shouldn't have bought their books and tapes anyway. So that prediction failed. Jonathan Edwards, the great 18th century preacher, even though he was a great man of God, great use of God, he predicted in his writings that the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ would happen in the year 2000. His prediction failed too. Pat Robinson said in his book, 1990, in his book called The New Millennium, said that God's judgment would happen on April 29, 2007. There was, some, there was going to be some sort of destruction to the earth, and not only America, but to the earth. His prediction failed as well. Harold Camping, you remember that guy, Harold Camping? He predicted Jesus' return for three times. It never happened. You remember him? Well, guess what? After he went in seclusion, he comes back and says, I got the true date of Jesus' return. You would think, ladies and gentlemen, after three times of being embarrassed, you would give up. You would think, right? Not so. So Harold Camping, you know what Harold Camping did? Harold Camping said, Jesus is going to return on March the, tw- excuse me, May the 21st, 2011. May the 21st, 2011. I was driving home, me and Pastor Sean was preaching a revival in Virginia, coming home, and I, uh, we was joking, we had our phones, and I said to Pastor Sean, I said, well, uh, Harold Camping's prediction is about 6 o'clock Jesus is going to return, and so, are you ready, bro? And he's like, yeah, we're ready, and we were kind of making fun of it. Of course, the next day, we had the EF5 tornado that hit the city of Joplin. So, uh, I remember this date. Jesus never returned on May the 21st. He shut down his radio business that evening around 4 o'clock, sent everybody home. They all went to a certain mountain to wait for the resurrection. It never occurred. He was so disheartened, he went back to calculate again. Now this is for the fifth time. He says, I was off. One more try. Jesus is going to come back October 21st, 2011. It never occurred. It never occurred. John Hagee, he's a great preacher, but it doesn't mean he's infallible. He scared the Christian community by preaching the blood moon prophecy and said in his books that between April 2014 and September 2015, it will start the messianic end times where the Antichrist will come to the scene. Mr. John Hagee was wrong too. The Mormon church was so freaked out by the, the blood moon prophecy that uh, the city of Utah said that the Mormon community bought all of their survival supplies and all their canned foods in September 2015 because the Mormon church bought into the blood moon prophecies. You see, I can go on and on and on, and I think I've done a fairly well job just explaining to you the failed prophecies in previous years. That doesn't include all the failed prophecies since the beginning of the dispensation of grace, since Jesus uh, went back to the Father. And I've thought about this over and over. What does the Bible really say about the end times? That's, 
Not what prophecies preachers are preaching. Not what so-called slick willy is preaching with his charts and graphs. I want to know what the Bible says. And everybody wants to use the Bible as their reference, but sometimes we got to understand the Bible is infallible, but your interpretation of the Bible is not infallible. The Bible is infallible, but your interpretation is not infallible. And so the Bible was not written in a systematic form. I know that we like to look at it in a systematic book, but the Bible is not a systematic theology book. It wasn't written as we have prescribed to people. It wasn't written in a systematic form. Sometimes we have taken the mystery out of God. We have taken the mystery out of Christianity. God has a mystery. He is mysterious. And we're not going to know everything about God, and we're not going to figure everything out about God. You can know God, but you're not going to know everything about God. There is a mysterious there is something mystical and mysterious about God. He is sovereign. We're not going to know everything. He is not going to reveal everything to us. His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we got to be careful. we got to be careful that these prophecy preachers are so sure. that If they're so sure, then why did they miss it at Y2K? We've got to be very careful. What is the truth? The truth is this. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the characteristic of the last days is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. That one of the characteristics is this. They're always learning, and they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always calculating. They're always trying to figure out when He's returning. And they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the Gospel. And the Gospel is this, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That's the Gospel. Let me say that again. The Gospel is, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That's the Gospel. And these people are always learning but never able to come to the truth. What is the truth? The truth is this. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, the words of Jesus to His disciples, and I quote, But of that day and of that hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but My Father only. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus says to His disciples, and I quote, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. The Bible says in Matthew 24, in verse 44, Jesus said again, Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The Bible says in Matthew 25, verse 13, Jesus again reiterated this to His disciples. And I quote, Watch therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Over and over in the Gospels, Jesus reiterated this phrase, that you do not know the day, you do not know the hour in which He is going to return for His coming is unexpected. You see, the truth of the matter is, the coming of Jesus Christ is an unexpected event. It's going to come in a day and an hour that you do not expect it. It's going to come in a day and an hour that we have not planned and we're not looking for. As a matter of fact, He's going to come as a thief in the night. It's going to come unexpectedly. And that is why, my friends, you need to be ready. You need to make sure that your lamp is trimmed and burning. You need to make sure that you're living a holy life. 
you need to make sure that you're not missing church. Come on, somebody. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that some of us is laying out of our church attendance because as we see the day approaching, we're laying out. You can't lay out. You've got to be firm. You've got to be strong. You've got to be vibrant. You've got to make sure your lamp is trimmed and burning, and you've got to make sure that you're ready because at a day and an hour that you do not expect, He's going to return, and what are you going to do when He returns? What is He going to find you doing when He returns? Is He going to find you sleeping? Or is He going to find you ready? Is He going to find you sleeping? Is He going to find you resting? Is He going to find you sleeping like the disciples? Or is He going to find you up and being sober and being vigilant? You know, you know, Peter said, he told to the church, he said, you need to be strong and be vibrant, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil seeks and roams about seeking whom he may devour. You see, you've got to watch, therefore. You've got to be alert because he is coming back. You see, ladies and gentlemen, why is there a fuss about the end times? Have you ever, have you ever thought about it? Why is there a fuss about the end times? Why is Hollywood so fascinated with it? And why is Christians so fascinated with it? Could it be that the reason why we are fascinated with it is because things cannot continue the way they are? Is it because things have to get better? Is it because justice has to prevail? All the injustice and suffering and despair and agony that we see in the world, certainly there has to be an answer for it. Certainly there has to be justice. Our wrongs have to be made right. There's a sense within us that things have to be made right and things can't continue the way they are. Maybe it's the, the fear of the unknown. We try to figure out the future because we don't want to be surprised by anything. We want to be prepared. Maybe there's a fuss about the end times because we know inside that there has to be more than what we see. There has to be more than what we see and we know that the Bible is very clear about certain things that will happen in the end times. But most importantly, my friends, I believe that the end times is important for us to explore because it is not a time and season of despair or destruction or death. But for Christians, it's a season of hope. It's comfort to realize that there is more to the story than what we see. That there's more to what we see. That there's more to suffering. There's more to the agony. There's more to what we see around us. And when we study the end times, it brings us great hope. That we realize that there's more to what, than what we see. You see, James was very clear. The, the church was wrestling over the issue of the end times. And James said this. James says, therefore, my brethren, you need to be patient to the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also need to be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. You've got to be patient. And that's the hope of the early Christians. You know, if you study early Christianity, the first, second, and third century, you will discover that the coming of the Lord or the second coming of Jesus 
was very, very important to them. Very, very important to them. They preached with fervency. They preached with unction, Pastor David, because they knew that Jesus would return. The very thing, Pastor Larry, they saw was an angel that ascended to heaven. And what did the angel say to him? This same Jesus that you see taken up will be the same Jesus that will appear in like manner. Those early disciples were so convinced that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Please don't lose me, church. Stay with me. Engage your mind with me. Those early Christians were so, so looking forward to His return that they could not hardly wait. They suffered persecution. They suffered martyrdom because they were waiting for the return of Jesus. You see, those early Christians were beaten. They were, they were, they were oppressed. They were martyred. They were burned at the stake. And all at the same time, they were hoping that Jesus would return. Now, why were they, why were they doing that? Because Jesus said that He would return. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples in Matthew 16, verse 28, I believe? Jesus said this to His disciples. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Those disciples held on. Those early Christians held on to the belief that Jesus is going to return in their lifetime. Jesus said it. The disciples saw the angel. The angel said, He's coming back in the same way He was taken up. When Rome was persecuting them, they endured the persecution because they knew that Jesus was going to come and make it right. They could turn to the other cheek. They could be thrown to the lions. They were accused falsely, but that was okay because they knew that in their lifetime, Jesus was going to return and make it right. It's, you see, Jesus died approximately 32 A.D., right? The first gospel, according to theologians, is the book of Mark, John Mark. It was written around 70 A.D., maybe 72 A.D. How many years after Jesus' death is the first gospel written? Come on, guys, you're smart. 40, almost 40 years, right? 70, 70 to 72, almost 40 years. So that tells me, why in the world did the early Christians wait uh, around 40 years to write about Jesus? Mark is the first book. Why did they wait 40 years? Why didn't they start writing things down after the resurrection? Do you know why they never wrote anything down? Because they thought Jesus was going to come back and there's no reason to write anything. They thought Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to come back. Why do we need to write anything down when Jesus is going to return? Why did it take 40 years for them to begin the process of recording the life of Jesus in writing because they thought that Jesus was coming back and there's no reason to write it down. And they soon discovered that when the disciples started dying, and some of those Christians started dying 
steadfastly, Jesus is not returning, and they wanted to make sure the story was propagated to the next generation, so they started writing it down. That is why Luke, you remember Luke? Luke chapter 1. Luke, Luke was concerned about it. Luke chapter 1 verse 1, they'll put it behind me. Luke was concerned about it. He was like, Jesus isn't back yet. I thought Jesus was going to return, and since Jesus is not here, I better write it down. And Luke said, many people have set out to write an account about the events that's been fulfilled among us. He goes on, he says, I'm going to use eyewitnesses. He says, I've got to go around before I die and make sure I get the right story, and I've got to get the eyewitnesses to make sure I write this down because Jesus hasn't come back yet. He says, I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and I have decided to write an account to you, O most honorable Theophilus. You see, what are you saying, Pastor? Listen to me, church. The early Christians were so convinced that Jesus was coming back, they didn't write anything down to 40 years after His resurrection. Because they were convinced that Jesus was coming back. You know, the Greek word in, in the New Testament for the coming of the Lord is parousia. Everybody say parousia. It's what theologians refer to as the delayed parousia, the delayed coming of Jesus. The early Christians experienced it. It was delayed. They thought it was going to occur in their lifetime. It did not occur. People thought Jesus would return in the first century. He has not returned. He has not returned in the second century, the third century. We are at the 21st century, and Jesus Christ has not returned yet. And that is what we call the delayed parousia, the delayed coming of Jesus. It is delayed. We don't understand why. We have calculated. Religious fanatics have tried to figure it out. We've scratched our head trying to figure out why is it so delayed? I remember growing up in the old church, my grandma saying, baby, you've got to be ready. Because at any moment, Jesus could, I mean, we would have church on Sunday night, and I'd be so scared to death because the preacher's preaching so hot. He's preaching hell so hot. Y'all remember that? And Jesus was going to come back even before you get out of the building. Jesus was going to come back. And they stuck us in little back rooms with a little light hanging down from the ceiling, and they put the VHS they put those left-behind movies in. And we would watch those left-behind movies where the, the Antichrist was coming to get them and they chopped their heads off because they didn't take the mark of the beast. And I remember crying as a child, Oh, God, forgive me. I stole a pencil. I ate two. I, I stole a... Because <laughs> I was convinced as a little boy that Jesus was coming back. I mean, they told you, you don't need to get married. Jesus is coming back. You better be pure and holy. You're not even going to make it out of high school. How many remembers that? You remember that, don't you, Pastor Ronnie? Jesus is coming back. And because of that, people have given up their dreams. People have given up college careers. People have given up because they feel like at any moment Jesus is going to return. It's what theologians refer to as the delayed parousia. Parousia is the Greek word for the coming of the Lord. The delayed coming of the Lord. Did you know that the delayed parousia was the primary motivation for the writing of the Gospels? 
The reason that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was written down, and the reason that Matthew has a different story, that Mark has a different story, and Luke has a different story, and John has a different story, because they're all writing it down from our witnesses, because they're on a time schedule. Time is slipping away. Saints are dying. Our witnesses are dying. And that is why they had to write it down quickly. Ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing the divine delay. The, the question we got to ask, my friends, is why is Jesus delayed His coming? Why is Jesus delayed? Why is there delay? Because number one, I want to tell you, the reason that Jesus has not returned yet is because God's timing is not your time. I'm going to say that again. Why is there a delay in the coming of the Lord? Because God's time is not your time. I'm going to say it again. God's time is not your time. God's time is not your time. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, I want to read something to you. Peter was perplexed about this issue. And Peter had to answer this question as well. Peter was like, I'm going to answer this question of why God's time is different. Why is the coming of the Lord delayed? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1. I want you to look at it. Look at what he says here. Beloved, I now write this to you in the second epistle, in both of which I stir your pure minds by the way of reminder. Now look at it. Verse 2. That ye may be mindful of the words which was spoken before the holy prophets and the commandments of us and the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? From since the, for since the fathers fell asleep, since the Christians fell asleep, since those early disciples fell asleep, we've been hearing that Jesus is going to come back. You've been telling us Jesus has been coming back and He hasn't come back yet. He says, know this, the scoffers. Who, what is a scoffer? A mocker. You know what Peter is saying? Peter is saying that there are some mockers coming to the church and saying, I thought you told us Jesus was going to come back in your lifetime. You don't know what you're talking about. People were mocking them because they were convinced that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. And yet, he says, scoffers will come in the last days walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forgot, that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made of, uh, were, the heavens were of old and the earth is standing out of water, and in the earth, by which the world that which existed perish, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, and reserved by fire, until the day of judgment and perdition and the ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You know what He's saying? He is saying, I know there's people making fun of us. There are people that's upset. There's people that's mocking us because Jesus has not come back yet, 
and we've been preaching that he's coming back, but I want to remind you that the reason that he hasn't come back yet is this. Number one, God's word is true. It was his word that made the heavens and the earth, and his word always prevails. And if he said it, it's going to happen. Number two, he's coming back because his timing is not your timing, so you don't need to worry about what day or hour it is. You just need to be ready when he does come. And number three, the reason he hasn't coming back yet is because you've got some family members that's outside of the ark of mercy, and God is being merciful to them and giving them time to repent before he comes back. Somebody say amen. He said, that's why I haven't come back. That's why he's not back yet. God's word is true. If it made the heavens and the earth, if it has enough power to make the heavens and the earth, it has enough power to come true. It will. He said, he said, he said, for the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He says, some of you, He says, some of you are not promise keepers. Some of you say one thing and you do another. Some of you tell somebody you make a promise, but you don't ever keep it. He says, but the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. If the Lord said it, it's going to come to pass. You can take it to the bank. I said the Lord is coming back. I'm telling you today, church, He's coming back. And the trump of God's going to sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Is there anybody in the building that's looking up? Is there anybody getting packed up? Is there anybody praying up? Is there anybody looking up? For our redemption is drawing nigh, and He shall return just like He said. He will. He will return. He will return. God is not concerned about your calendar. He's not concerned about due dates. He doesn't have a planner. He doesn't have deadlines. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. It's been 2,000 years and 2,000 years. There has been millions and millions and millions of believers just like you and I who have anticipated His coming and they've went to the grave and never saw it. But the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's not slack Concerning His promise. You know why we need to study the end times? Because, number one, it exposes our help. Why do we need to study the end times? Because it exposes our help. Help. You know, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, the church is struggling over the coming of the Lord. And Paul said this to them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 18. He says, after this discourse about the coming of the Lord, he says, verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. He says, comfort them 
Let them know that there's help. The reason we need to study the end times is because it exposes our help. It, re- it makes us realize that we have help coming. That all our wrongs, all the wrongs will be made right. And all our rights will be rewarded. Help is coming. Do you know that when you uh, call 911, and let's suppose you're in an emergency, and you call 911, the dispatcher on the other side, well, they're trained, the operator is trained to keep you calm and to settle your nerves, right? Is that right? Is that right? It wouldn't be good if the operator on the other end freaks out with you. Would it? They're trained to calm your nerves. And do you know what I learned? I didn't know this. I found this out. The operator is trained to say five words repeatedly to keep you calm. You know what they are? Help is on the... Guess what the Lord is saying to us? Don't freak out because help is on. Don't freak out. Help is on the way. Jesus is going to return. Paul said, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let them know that help is coming. Let them know that help is coming. Number two, it elicits our hope. It, it exposes our help. It makes us realize that we need help. And help is coming. But it, number two, it elicits our hope. Hope. It elicits our hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. He says... 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning which them which have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He says, don't, you're not like other believers. You're different. You have hope. Other believers have fallen asleep, but don't sorrow like they sorrow. Or other people have fallen asleep in the world. Don't sorrow like they sorrow. You have a hope. A hope. It elicits our hope in the life of the world to come. He says, when He comes, He says, for if you believe, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air, and thus we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Why do we need to study the end times, my friends? We need to study the end times because it exposes our help. It elicits our hope. We're not to mourn like others mourn. Number three, it encourages our holiness. It encourages 
our holiness. Jesus said, in closing, Jesus said, or Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, the same book, he says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, he says this, he says, he says, I want to tell you how the Lord's going to come back. He says, for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He says, the Lord is going to come back as a thief in the night. Now let me ask you something, church. Why does a thief want to come at night? Because he doesn't want to be seen and doesn't want to be caught. The Lord, Paul is saying, the Lord is going to come the same way. He's going to come in a way that you least expect it. He's going to come a way where you don't even see Him coming. He's going to come like a thief in the night. And you know, if that's true, then that should encourage us to be holy to the Lord. Because what is the Lord going to find you doing when He returns? Lord, I want you to come, to, I want you to come on Sundays between 9.30 and 12.30. What is the Lord going to find you doing when He returns? Whose bed is He going to find you in when He returns? Whose ear is He going to find you scratching when He returns? For the time will come where people give heed to itching ears and turn aside to fables. I'm not called to itch your ears. I'm called to preach the truth. What is he going to find you doing when he returns? Who is he going to find you talking to? What is he going to find you texting when he returns? What is he going to find you watching when he returns? If he comes as a thief in the night, what is he going to find you doing? You see, the Bible says in the same book, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, I pray, church, that you would yourself sanctify yourself completely, sanctify yourself wholly in your body and your soul and your spirit, blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? I'm praying, church, that you get holy in your body, your soul, and your spirit. I pray that your mind, your thoughts, your motives, your meditations is holy. I pray that your words of your mouth is holy. I pray that your actions and deeds and conduct is holy. And I pray your relationships with people are holy when He returns. I pray that you live a holy life. Not a perfect life, but a holy life. Desiring to please God. Desiring to honor God. So, why do we need to study the end times? Because, my friends, it exposes our help. It elicits our hope. It encourages our holiness. It's preposterous for us to think that Jesus is not coming back. Just look around and see what's happening right before our eyes. 
Jesus is coming back. It's time for us to get prayed up. It's time for us to look up. It's time for us to pay up. Jesus is coming back. And the very last words of the book of Revelation says this, Behold, I am coming quickly. And I'm telling you, church, it doesn't matter how many times you've heard it. It doesn't matter how many times you've read it. I'm letting you know that this is our help. This is our hope. And this is our holiness. Jesus is coming back.